Welcome to 7 Things EMS, a continuing education offering from Limmer Education. 7 Things EMS is designed to give you what you need to succeed in EMS. It's conversational, informational, and without the fluff. All right, welcome to another 7 Things EMS episode. My name is Dan Limmer, the host, and I am very excited to be here uh, with friend, mentor, leadership guru, all-around good guy, John Politis. Um, John, as I said, was a mentor of mine. John taught my paramedic class. Uh, has been very influential in my life and many people around EMS. Uh, former chief of the Colony EMS Department, the Verdoy Fire Department, recipient of the Rocco Miranda Lifetime Achievement Award from the Registry. You have a heck of a pedigree, and we're very glad to have you here, John Pilatus. Hi, Dan. How are you today? Well, we're talking about leadership. It's good, to, it's good to be here with you. I think this is going to be a great seven things. We're talking about leadership today, which happens to be something that you do in your boot camps and training sessions, and uh, which I would recommend to people. Let's put a plug in right from the beginning. Well, thanks a lot. I uh when I do that class, I like to tell people that I have a I have a master's degree, but most importantly, I have a PhD in making mistakes. And uh, um, I think just about the time you're getting ready to retire, I think you kind of figured out maybe the things you ought to be doing and the things you probably shouldn't do. And I was in graduate school, and I thought I was going to have some great aha moments with uh, leadership development. And it was a great program that I went through, but during the course of the of the three years that I was in graduate school, I, I had so many people in class say, you know, you should, you should be doing a program that's kind of like for, you know, that's a very practical program on, on supervision and working with people. And that, that was really the genesis of the whole supervisor bootcamp program. And it's really not a program that's, uh, that's uh, lofty leadership things. It's really uh, often called the tactical to practical program. And you know, people start off in their careers and they want to make a difference and will often aspire to take the job as a supervisor or leader. And it can be a pretty rocky thing. And there are just some unexpected things that can occur when you step into leadership that, you know, when you get there, you you realize that life is never going to be the same ever again, that everybody's watching you and, uh, you know, whatever personality traits that you have you are magnified by by now the power that you have in your leadership position and the fact that you're, you know, people are watching what you're doing and how you're doing it. And it can be a pretty painful experience. It certainly was for me. And I, and I've, I've held a lot of leadership positions in the span of my career. And I would tell you that I've learned a lot from all of them. And I've probably learned as much from the horrible bosses that I've had as well as the great bosses. And, you know, we, we both had a great boss, one of our town supervisors who worked for Fred Field was, he was probably the best boss that I've ever had and certainly one of the best leaders I've ever been around. And I've had some ones that were not so great. And I, I would say that I probably learned as much from them about what never to do. And, and those are some of the realities that we, we kind of get into in this program. And this is what we're going to do today is a little bit of a, you know, the supervisor's boot camp or the leadership boot camp in miniature. Well, I think with that, it sounds like you've kind of given a little foreshadowing to number one, the good the bad and the ugly of leadership. So why don't we start and take it away? Well, I think, you know, to, to say that you're a leader or to aspire to leadership means that 
you know, people are willing to follow you or, or that they want to follow you. And leadership is really all about influencing people that when you're in a leadership position, you definitely have some power over people. But, you know, I don't want to steal my thunder from the next thing we're going to talk about, which is specifically power. But, you know, a, a great American general, Norman Schwarzkopf, said that leadership is a combination of strategy and in uh, character. And if you have to be without something, be without the strategy, because it's really all about character. You know, do people trust you? Are they, are they willing to follow you? It takes a long time, I think, to realize that, you know, as a leader, you don't have to have all of the answers. In fact, um, you shouldn't try and have all the answers, but you know, when you work with people, when you give them power, you get power. And when you give them respect, you get respect back. And it's a, it's, it's a paradoxical thing. Uh, leadership. And I think when you step into a leadership role, you have to really do your do your best to know yourself and to understand yourself, to know your personality, to know your strengths and weaknesses. And, and certainly that, you know, over the span of my career, I, I've gotten to know myself as a person a lot better, mostly through some really painful things. But early on, I recognize there, there's some things that I really was not very good at. And I think when details, for example, are really important to me, then I'm, I can very much focus on details. But, you know, we both had a great friend that we worked with uh, for years, uh, Paul Fink, who I knew from the outset from knowing Paul that he was really good with details. And of course, you know, when setting up the department, Paul became the chief of, of logistics. And you know what? The department, people would give us a lot of credit about how well things organized. It really was a tribute to him and me realizing that if you ask me about you know, how many, you know, what should be in that cabinet in the ambulance. I have a box in the check sheet that said, I don't have crap in there. You know, when Paul, Paul had to think very well, very well detailed out and every vehicle is set up the same way and all the bags are set up the same way. And, and that really is a, you know, and I like to take great credit for that, but I don't, it's, it really is for me, it was just recognizing that that really wasn't something that I was very good at. And I think, you know, when you're in a leadership job, I think you have to know yourself pretty well and and uh, know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And you need to um, know the strengths and the weaknesses of the people that you work with. Well, I think EMS certainly has a certain group, we'll call them personalities. You know, everything yeah. from the, we're really a big part of the uh, attention deficit crowd, you know, short term, you know, attention span, excitement driven people. And I think that can be a challenge, certainly as a provider, but as someone moves to a leader, I hear two things in what you're saying. One is you've got to embrace who you are and what you do. And also, you know, and I don't want to go too far uh, ahead in this as well, but it sounds like you also have to find people that can do things better than you and accept that. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's absolutely true. It's, and it's more than just accept it. I think it's embrace it. You know, it's a leadership is mentally exhausting. When you're when you're leading, you have to be taking care of people. You're taking people where they uh, need to go, which is not always where they want to go. But it also involves in doing your best to take good care of people along the way, and that means being as attentive as you can be, and also at the same time, you have to stay recharged yourself. You know, you you're you're like a battery on your cell phone that you know, you, your, your battery can become pretty depleted and you have to get yourself recharged again. And, and what's exhausting about it is, is that when you're being attentive to the organization and the people in it, it's exhausting for you and not just for you, but for the people around you, your family. And, and you know, I, I think that's working to create a leadership role where people want to follow you, not 
because they have to follow you. I think when people want to follow you, it's because they believe in you and they trust you and you have influence over them and you're taking them to a good place. But that can be very painful because leadership involves change and it also involves doing things that people don't always want to do, but we need to do. And I think that's the difficult part of it. All right. I think we uh, covered the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll go on to number two, which you also mentioned. It's not about power. And I think a lot of people start thinking it's about power, don't they? Yep. I think, you know, there certainly are the trappings of office that when somebody gets promoted, you know, we have, you know, you get the helmet that's a different color. You get the front piece for your helmet or you get collar insignia. And well, you should enjoy that for about five minutes and then realize that after that, really your job is to really serve others. And, and I mentioned earlier, I think leadership is a is a big magnifier that when you step into leadership, if you're a person who doesn't really understand your power and, and how to use that power, it's pretty easy for you to create an organization that's toxic. And I guess the best way to describe that would be like, you know, Ruth and I are going to be married 46 years here uh, come, come June. And, you know, if I'm supposed to walk up to Ruth and say, make my dinner, uh, well, first of all, she probably hit me with a rolling pin, but but I would I just wouldn't do that. You know, it just wouldn't be something that I would do because of the the dynamic. But when people step into a leadership job, sometimes that power that they have over being able to make people do things, and you can make people do things maybe once or twice, and after that, it's just uh, it really is not a winning strategy. I think it's pretty easy to create a toxic organization, but you also have the power in the workplace to make somebody's day or help them have a horrible day, you know, simply, you know, walking in and, you know, being even tempered and, you know, in most of what we do on emergency services, we value an incident manager, incident commander who is able to maintain their cool, calm and collectedness. And I think people expect that uh, of a leader as well, that, you know, a person who acts like they have a split personality, who is you know, manic one minute and then depressed the next makes for a very uncomfortable work environment. And certainly if we, you know, we walk in and something pushes our hot button and we, we chew somebody out, you know, or even just say something that isn't very complimentary, they're going to probably have a pretty bad day. You know, on the other hand, if you compliment good work when you see it, which is 99% of what we do, people have a much better day. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it just makes you a much better leader. So, you know, also new leaders along with the power thing, I think certainly can be arrogant. I'm guilty of that early in my leadership. I uh, probably was a lot, I was, I was arrogant and uh, probably didn't listen as well as I should have and realized that I was really causing a lot of problems because of my arrogance and lack of willingness to listen. And, but at the same time, I think you have to balance that with, you know, you have to be humble and have humility and be, you know, be willing to listen to people, which is, uh, which is hard. I think at times when you know that you have to go in a direction, you have to be humble and have enough humility to know what direction you have to go in, allow people to be heard, take their advice and counsel and go where you need to go. And certainly, you know, one of the biggest leadership challenges I ever had was to work with a lot of others to create a department from scratch where, we were consolidating a bunch of organizations and and we had a vision for where we were going and we had mission and purpose. And there was a core group of people that understood that and knew where it needed to go. But as you remember, there were an awful lot of people that didn't share that vision. We had to proceed and we had to we had to make changes, which is another difficult thing when you're a leader, which is 
surviving, making change and working with people to help create the change and surviving the change. Because very often people in leadership positions when they're change agents don't survive very long. And I was fortunate enough to survive a long time in that environment, which is 22 years, which is longer than most, but it wasn't easy. It was, uh, it was, it was difficult. But no, I, it wasn't I easy. The, I was there. Yeah, I know you were. I, I, I think the last, the last thing I would say was that, you know, that just to wrap up the power thing, I think good leaders are keenly aware of, of their words and their temperament and how they affect others. And, uh, as a boss, if you're having a good day, other people are having a good day. If you're having a bad day, they're probably going to have a bad day as well. And I think you have to work hard to even that out and understand the role that you're in. And in humility is a is a power tool. And we can all be, you know, we all have egos and we certainly all certainly can display that and sometimes display a lack of humility and arrogance. But I think, you know, along your journey of leadership, you learn how important it is to uh, treat others well and to ask rather than tell and uh, and understand that you don't have to know everything. In fact, you don't know everything. And quite frankly, I think people who you're leading, your followers, uh, see things that a leader cannot see. And it's really important to know the difference. So anyway. All right. A couple things. Humility is a power tool should be a sticker or something. It should be something that everyone thinks about. I just really love that statement. There's two things that comes from this and I don't want to get too much into the weeds and you can maybe address these somewhere else or whatever. I'm an old street cop at heart. Everything we did in public safety like that was about respect. And you really, if you respected your sergeant say, then it was, it was easy. And the other thing I'll say is that I think that we have to look at leadership not only from the top of the pile, but I'd also say the educator, the field training officer, the everybody has a little bit of leadership in what they do, don't they? Yeah, I think it's absolutely true. In fact, some of the best leaders I know have never held a rank at an organization. I think, you know, both you and I have known people and we could rattle them off because we've known each other so long who we looked at them and said, yep, we're all going to work for that person someday. Or, yep, that person is going to be chief of the department. And it wasn't because they're because of bad attributes, it was because of the fact that they had good leadership characteristics, that they naturally exuded leadership ability. They treated people with respect. They were honest. They had good character. And I think you're you're developing your leadership ability from the first day and you're establishing your reputation, I think, from the first day that you stepped into a job. Uh, how you interface with people, how you treat people, the integrity that you demonstrate, um, your work ethic, you know, all those things are leadership traits, which will, if you're good, will serve you well as you start to climb the career ladder. The opposite of that, which is the flaws that you may have, the character flaws you may have also be become magnified as you, as you go up the career ladder. And hopefully you uh, learn to manage those and to, and to learn and to become better. But I think leadership is, is something that we develop over time. We can all become better at it. From the day that you step into a job, you're developing those characteristics. And we all know people who exude that and have been really good at it from day one and just get better with time. But then, of course, there are some people that their careers are stalled because they're, they don't develop. And you know, the thing I will often say to people is that you're living your job interview. You don't come into a job interview and dazzle people. And, you know, and that one job interview is, is really is a, is one moment in time. I think you have to look at the totality of people. And we know people that, you know, consistently have demonstrated their their abilities and they do so every day. And those are the kinds of people that you want to 
promoted into leadership positions because of what they who they are and what they, they say for. this is the person I'd follow anywhere and you know you know who those people are they yeah. they have that let's go into number three I think we're going kind of on the human uh, part of this uh, sticks and stones uh, that applies to leadership too as tough as we may be as tough as our people may be sticks and stones doesn't go away in childhood does it no, I think there was a, a fire chief that I think influenced many of us uh, in our generation that uh, was renowned and was designated by, I think, Fire Engineering Magazine, the, the one of the most 10 influential fire chiefs in American history, and that was Alan Bernicini. And he, um, he used to say, and I think it's very true, that if you follow ugly kids home, you find ugly parents. I don't, I don't mean their physical characteristics, but their, their affect, meaning if you follow an abused kid home, what you find is, is a is a household where it's an abusive household and so many people go into emergency services and they are exposed to abusive people who say and do awful things and you know they try and run training programs like a drill sergeant and they think that's what good leadership is and that's what good education is and and the truth is that being a drill sergeant and barking at people doesn't really make you a badass it just makes you an asshole Unfortunately, that's a that's a model that many people like to follow. And the, the truth is, you know, the lie that we were told as children that, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me really should be changed to sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can break my heart. You know, as you know, I, I had a climbing accident this past fall and was laid up for a couple of months and and it was very painful, and I, I don't remember much about the pain because they gave me good medicine for one thing, but but uh, but I can I can tell you that I, I remember things in my life that were very hurtful or things that were said to me, and I can remember them to this day, and I think that's true of most of us, that good leaders are keenly aware of their words and what they say to people and how they say things to people. I think as a leader, you have to understand what your emotional hot buttons are, and there's a great, uh, one of the great sports movies of all time is uh, A League of Their Own with Tom Hanks. And, you know, it has a whole, you know, cast, which is a phenomenal cast. And there's a, there's a great uh, scene in the movie where he uh, starts chewing out one of the players who is a fielder who misses the cutoff person. And they let a tying word, you know, tying run get on base. And they lost the lead because of that person. And he chews them out and he, uh, he's yelling at her and he says, there's no crying in baseball. And he, you know, she bursts into tears on the field and she, you know, he chews her out. And that is, you know, that's something that people just don't forget that when you chew somebody out, you can't take that back. And another leader I worked with for years, and we both know Peter Berry, who, who I have great respect for, you know, I had my buttons pushed one day and I gave an ass chewing to somebody and, and he came up to me later and, you know, he felt comfortable enough for me to talk to me about this. And he said, uh, you know, John, you can never take back a good ass chewing. And that's really stayed with me that, um, and I think there has, there's two problems. I think first is there's never been a time when I've given an ass chewing out to somebody where I didn't really badly regret it. And I realized that uh, I was reacting emotionally and not logically. And, and the other part of that is that today, chewing somebody's ass out in a context of a work environment is probably going to get you in a lot of trouble. So I think you have to be really aware of that and you have to be aware of your words and how your words matter and, and know what your emotional hot buttons are and, you know, do your best to keep a, a guard over the top of it. You know, we flew, I flew in a helicopter for years and worked as a helicopter crew chief and 
when you're flying on a, on a cable underneath the aircraft, you're expendable cargo and there's a way to pickle the cable, which, you know, if the aircraft gets in trouble and they have to auto rotate, they're going to jettison a load. And, and there's an emergency guard over that cable for a reason, which is you're about ready to do something really serious and somebody's going to lose their life to save everyone else in the aircraft. And that emergency guard protects that switch from being able to jettison the load. And I think we don't have an emergency guard over our emotional hot buttons, but we need to learn what those hot buttons are. So we put a shell over it and do our best not to let anybody push our buttons and, uh, and be really respectful of that. And I've seen instructors give out a thing at, at, at classes. It's called a, it's like a government form. It's called a hurt feelings report. And they walk out proudly and smugly hand it out to the class. And it's like, ah, your feelings are hurt too bad. Can you fill this report out? We'll file it. And then, you know, throw it in the garbage. And, you know, and to me that just, that exudes bad education and bad leadership. I think, you know, I don't think anybody learns well in an environment of blame, shame, and humiliation. And in fact, as organizations, we all strive to create organizations where we can make mistakes and learn from those mistakes to become better. Because in the world that we live in, in fire and EMS, uh, that's how we learn is by making some mistakes and getting better and learning from them. All right. Well, let's roll right into the four R's then. I think that may help us deal with some of the things we've talked about so far. Yeah, I think four R's are um, respect, recognition, relationships, and reasonable expectations. And in this uh, is a, a little, you know, these the four R's are, are a power tool for all of us, I think. You might get the promotion, you might get the collar brass, you might get the helmet or the front piece or title on your name tag that you're a leader now or you're an officer. And again, enjoy that for a few minutes because that's about as long as it's going to last. Your job now is to serve others. But the real truth of it is people might respect the position that you have, but they might not respect you. And I think the highest form of leadership is people do things because you ask them and they do that out of the respect for you. And that boss that I had earlier that I mentioned that we both had, you know, he was a the leader of our town. He was the type of leader that he he earned everyone's respect and he was the kind of man that you didn't want to let him down. And the few times that I I really made some grand mistakes, um, I was sitting down and talking to him and all he had to say to me was, you know, John, this wasn't your finest moment. And I was crushed by that. And he didn't have to say much else. And it was because I respected the man so much and admired him. And in order to get respect from people, you have to give respect back. And there's all of those attributes that we talked about earlier about knowing yourself, knowing your strengths and weaknesses and working on your leadership characteristics, the positive ones, are all things that help uh, help you develop you yourself as a leader and, and treat people with, with respect. So, you know, as a leader... When things go well, your staff gets the credit. When things go poorly, you as a leader, you're the one who has to take the blame. And if you're the person who throws your people under the bus, I got to tell you, nobody's ever going to follow you and nobody's going to respect you. And there are so many people that I've known over the years that you know have an excuse checklist that, and part of that checklist is that it was the staff's fault. They're the ones that screwed it up, not me. And really, you're, you have ownership. You know, If they make a mistake, you didn't train them hard enough. You didn't provide them the resources. You didn't orient them. You know, the leader owns it at the end of the day. 
Uh, when things go well, then of course staff gets the credit because they're the ones who deserve it. They're the ones that are working on the front lines. You know, one of the things that's a, a leadership killer with the respect thing is talking you know, we call it talking shit about people or, or speaking of people badly. And when you're the person who's talking crap about people in your organization or outside the organization, what it, what it really broadcasts to people is that you're a person that can't be trusted and it just undermines your credibility as a leader and in the fact that people certainly don't want to, won't respect you because you don't respect them. So respect this has to be earned. And at the same time, you can, can damage that you know, in a, in a second, it can take you years to earn the respect of people and you can damage it in a second. And you have to uh, really be very aware of that as a, as a leader. The other thing is recognition. You know, every organization has some kind of a recognition program, whether it's the EMT or firefighter of the year or provides some special recognition. And, you know, certainly wouldn't discourage those programs. I think they're great. Uh, almost without exception, every, every when we would give out one of those awards, it really was a huge demotivator for the rest of the staff. And the reason was, is that one person got recognized or we recognize one person because they happen to have the timing to be on the big call. But the truth is most people who are coming to work, you know, we're doing their jobs day in and day out, kind of fly below the radar. And in organizations, they're often known as the B team players. You know, there's the A team who's often 10% of the workforce. And then, you know, the C team who's, you know, the other on the bottom end of the workforce and none of the B players that come in who are the supporting cast for the organization that come to work, do their job, go home. And it doesn't really take an awful lot to keep them motivated, except simply recognizing good work when you see it. And it can be something as simple as, you know, hey, Dan, I just want to mention Mrs. Smith called the office today and just they, they were really and the family was so happy about the way you guys secured the house and took care of the animals. And that meant the world to them. And they just wanted to call to sell you to say, what a great job you did. We're laying that out to people and simply saying, hey, good job. And I think you got to keep things in perspective as a, as a leader. We have to deal with a lot of negativity because we deal with complaints a lot. And you got to recognize that's only a very small percentage of what we do. And it was put into perspective for me years ago when I worked for the state health department, we're dealing with an issue in New York City, who at the time was the city of New York was doing a million ambulance calls a year. And I was we were working with our EMS chiefs, and, and he said, uh, well, what would you consider an error rate to be in a manufacturing operation? Maybe 1%, hopefully less than that. But I would say, yeah, that sounds about right. And he goes, well, with a million ambulance calls a year, 1% of that is 10,000 times a year, 1%, 10,000 times a year, something's going to go wrong. But the other 999,000 times, things went right. And it's very easy to lose sight of that, that most of the time our staff, the, the B team, the B players come in, who's the majority, 80 to 80% of our staff, our workforce, or our members, they're doing good work every day. You can't fail to recognize that. And that means you got to be out with them, recognizing the good work they do, expressing your gratitude and your appreciation for what they're doing. You know, and as I would just finally say, when it comes to recognition, one of the things that you should never do is say, Hey, I want to thank you for everything you do out there. You, you know, you feel like you're being worked by a car salesman when that happens because it's an empty compliment. The thank you for everything you do out there really is meaningless. You know, it's it's not it's not focused, not to the point. You, know, you just feel like you're being worked for some reason. You know, a true compliment is is that you're out there watching what people are doing, paying attention, and backing them up and helping them. 
And at the same time, giving them a heartfelt compliment or as a firefighter could be, hey, you know, you guys did a great job of that chimney fire the other night. You rolled out a salvage tarp so we weren't tracking stuff through the living room. And the homeowner really appreciated the way we got the smoke out of the house and just wanted to relay that along. Good job tonight. Good job tonight on taking care of the property so well. The homeowner really appreciated it. That small compliment goes a long way for morale in the organization. It, ta- it takes the staff and just elevates them. The last thing I would say about this is that it's a behavior that gets rewarded, gets repeated, that when you're rewarding good behavior like that, then people do it again. The next thing is relationships. I think um, it's been studied throughout every business school that members or staff members at, at work, they don't necessarily want to be best friends with their boss. But you want to have a positive work relationship. And those positive work relationships are based on trust and communications and and I think a lot of that is doing what you can to spend time with staff. And that means, you know, going to staff meetings if you have those or shift briefings. It means showing up at training. It means being around for meals and, you know, not necessarily having a specific agenda, but simply going to just be present and, and listen to people and allow people to be heard. I think so many times, the only time anybody goes out to a station is during EMS week when we're bringing the subplotter or the donuts and it's like, there. Yeah. Here's your subplotter. Happy EMS week. And you know, leader walks out. And that's it. You know, there's nothing more to that one. You know, really the most important part of this is really the food is simply as a segue into conversation with no particular agenda, but just simply allowing people to be heard because people often need to vent and be heard about things. And it could be a million things because, you know, as, as organizational leaders, we have to change things that, which are, nobody wants to do, but it's a pain in the neck. Like, Hey, you know, we're not getting signatures all the time on our forms for, you know, so for Medicare compliance. And does anybody really want to do that? And the answer is no, but we have to do it. And if we don't, it could be devastating to our service. And well, people need to vent about that stuff. And then you'll have, you'll listen and you need to explain why we're having to do what we're doing because it really all, it all really all starts with a rationale and understanding why. And then the fourth R is uh, reasonable expectations. It's it's um it's really easy for a leader to get into a position where they don't necessarily understand the demands of of staff. And this is a very complicated area. I would tell you that I, as you know, uh, I worked even as chief. I worked as shift commander. I would you know uh, where some people call it a district chief or shift commander, and I would roll in that vehicle. I would also take you know, we ran out of ambulances, take backup calls and flew on the helicopter and treated critical patients. And I, I sort of deluded myself into thinking that I was a pretty good paramedic. And I think I was at treating really critical patients, but I retired and went to work for a community EMS agency. And it was a rude awakening. And I would tell you that one of the things that I lost sight of was that today, the job of an EMT or paramedic is more complicated than it has ever been. I would, I would have anxiety about going to assisted living and nursing facilities where you walk in and somebody hands you a pack of papers about an inch thick and, and they say, Mrs. Smith isn't feeling well today. We think she needs to go to the hospital. And we had to sort out in a matter of a couple of minutes, this complex patient who wasn't feeling well to figure out that this patient have something that needed to be done right away and what was going on and assess the situation. And, and oh, by the way, our call volumes have spiked. We we uh, are are doing you know far more calls today than we've ever done because of the graying of America and the baby boomers aging. And you know it's all going to change in another fifteen to twenty years. The call volume will go back down again. But but 
the demands that are placed upon our EMTs and paramedics and firefighters uh, are greater today than ever. And I think it's really important for us to understand in leadership the demands that we're placing on people and doing the best we can to have reasonable expectations, which is workload distribution, doing what we can to take good care of people because we're asking them to do things that are, I think, you know, more and more difficult all the time. So those are the four R's. And I could talk about those four R's for probably an entire day. In fact, in my class, we, we have discussions about it for a long time because I think they're so important. All right. That's great. Thank you. Number five, choose the difficult right over the easy wrong. Well, um, you know, we expect staff to do their job and our staff expects us to do our job. And one of the, again, things that's been studied over and over again is we as human beings tend to avoid conflict in the, the, in our staff expects us to do our job. And one of the things that's a huge morale killer is to let performance issues go unchecked. Um, and again, we could have a long conversation about this, but you know, one common thing are time and attendance issues where people may come late to work and people are looking at you as a leader, as a supervisor, you know, aren't you going to do something about this? And meanwhile, you know, you let it go and you let it go and you let it go because you know this person and you like them and, and, uh, you know, and what happens is everybody's looking at you going, well, you expect me to do my job, show up to work on time, but you're not doing your job. And it really kills morale. And in the difficult right is having the crucial conversation about this behavior. And it's a high stake conversation because it's tense and uncomfortable. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with as human beings, we like to avoid conflict. We don't want to get in situations of conflict. And, and a lot of that has to do with you as a boss wanting to be somebody's friend or be liked. And, you have to uh, understand that it's not a matter of like anymore that, you know, if you just wanted to be liked, you know, go, go get a dog. You know, it isn't like you should walk around treating people with disrespect or be a jerk, but you have a job to do, which is we have to make sure that we have rules that are important to follow and people need to follow those rules. And, and that at times you have to have those crucial conversations that, uh, that people often don't want to have in there and they can be really painful for everyone, but, it's necessary to have them. And I, I guess, you know, with the time we have now left, I think not only is it appropriate to keep our time, but also because I think number six goes with number five. I think we can roll right into it. Leadership is a risky business. And you've talked about number five is one way, but I'm sure there's others. Oh yeah. There's a lot to be said for all of these things that we're talking about, but you know, when you're leading, you're asking people to change some leadership positions are riskier than others. It said that, you know, leadership in organizations, you're either in a building phase where you're changing a lot, or you're in a maintenance phase, or you're in a phase where you're retracting or contracting, which is also a lot of change. And and change really is difficult for people. It's it's been said, the cliche is the only people that like change are babies with wet diapers. But you're asking people to change. We're asking people to give up something that's safe and comfortable for something that's unknown. It's another thing we're asking people to do. And, and very often when you're doing change, people lash out at the, at the leader who is the, is the change agent. And that can be pretty dangerous. And sometimes we have to have crucial conversations. And sometimes people who won't change, can't change, won't do what they're supposed to do, sometimes enter the progressive disciplinary cycle for any one of a number of reasons, that's another whole topic unto itself. But 
you know, when, when, when someone cannot sell the change that you're trying to make, because it probably is right. And people realize that, and we're asking people to give up something and become busier or make them less comfortable. What they often do is they lash out at you, lash out at you, and they lash out at you in a very personal way. And they look at your personality traits and flaws and, and come after you. So when they can't assail the mission, they attack the leader's ethics and behaviors. And um, so the leaders need to understand that everybody's pretty much on boss watch, paying attention to what you're doing, you know, all hours. You have to have a pretty strong ethical framework to to be in, in leadership where you tend to not last for very long. And, and, you know, at the same time, when you're changing things, you know, I've had more than one elected official say to me, you need to make this go away. What that means is elected official politicians react to political noise and you're making the change that they want to see made, but it's unpopular and people are unhappy about it. And they're only willing to tolerate a certain amount of noise themselves. And And what they're saying to you is that if you don't make this problem go away, you're the person that's going to go away. Even though you may be doing something right and doing the thing that they ask you to do, that's another reality. So for particularly for chief positions, it's pretty common. A chief in local government typically lasts five to seven years because typically chiefs are change agents that are being brought in to make changes. And it's a risky place to be, which is why you'll often see in a chief resume that they're there someplace for five years or another chief, chief someplace else for five years and they, they move along. And it's not because they're a bad chief. It's just because they're doing what people have asked them to do. But they brought you in to be the lightning rod to make these changes. And then uh, once you've done those things, then you're the one that gets discarded to move on to somebody else after the change has been made. So, you know, understand when you step into leadership, the higher you go up the leadership food change, chain, the riskier it becomes for you. Uh, and I all just, right. Well, listen. Know, Sorry, go ahead. Yep. No, no, go ahead. We got four I was going to say, left. I think this this rolls into the last one, I think, you know, relatively well. I think it's always good to leave um, a podcast on a high note and say the good. I think it's really important to talk about the the problems. And yes, you know, change agents, you know, don't last in doing that. And they're anything from you've talked about the the personalities and being close to people in a small organization to being a chief and leading a larger organization. But I think ending with number seven, leave a lasting legacy is lets us leave on a positive note, because I will say, I mentioned before, you've been a mentor of mine since my early days in paramedic, paramedic instructor, and have given Excellent. me advice that's gotten me to a place that I'm you know, very happy to be. And I would say that I would look back at you and say, that's part of your legacy. It's the way I look at you and why I've always respect you and why I asked you here. So I think it's a great way to bring it home to talk about uh, the legacy and the importance of that as a leader. And sometimes you may not even know what's going on, I would think. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate those what you said, Dan. It means a lot to me. Um, I think people who are senior people who are training others that we look to, uh, field training officers or educators, People who are in operational management, frontline supervisors, you know, managing officers, executive officers, we make a difference. And I think one of the things that drew me into leadership was wanting to make a difference and seeing something that needed to be fixed and saying, we could do much better than this. One of the things I'm really 
proud of this occupation about, as I just have seen over the 50 years that I've been doing this, that every generation that's come through here has raised the bar. And we're continuing to raise the bar. We're maturing as an occupation. And you just look at what's happened with free open access medical education and look at the quality and the caliber of medical EMS education in the country and the quality and the caliber of EMS systems and how we're maturing. And that's all come from leadership from people within the occupation. And we have been growing and developing our leaders. And part of my motivation for this class is uh, that I do is uh, helping to keep people situationally aware and also keep them alive during the course of a career to understand what some of the common pitfalls are. And because it takes you, it's a leadership is an art. Uh, yeah, there's some science, but it's, it's an art. It was summed up to me, but once, but and I can't remember who said this to me, but it was uh, they asked me the question, "Who was uh, who was the the MVP in the last Super Bowl?" Okay, I just remember it was Patrick Mahomes, but but most of the times you would ask me that question, I couldn't tell you. And you know, who won the Academy Award for Best Actor, or what was the Academy Award for Best Picture? And I feel like most people, you can't answer those questions, and frankly, you don't even care. But if you're doing this job that we do. Uh, in EMS and fire, which is, we see awful stuff. And Dan and I, you, you and me together, and you know the call we're talking about, was probably one of the most gut-wrenching calls that I have ever been on. We did it together. It, just because we happened to be at lunch one day, and we rolled in on something really awful, right? We see awful stuff. You, you know, you can BS a, a medic or firefighter or cop for about 15 seconds, you better have something. But if you were to ask one of us, even though we couldn't answer the question about who is the MVP or the best actor, who was somebody who meant a lot to you in your career? Who was somebody who was there who gave you advice? Who was somebody there who was a boss that was there for you when you needed it or a teacher that helped you along the way? And I remember you telling a story about our friend Chip once, and Chip turned to you and said, Dan, this call is yours. And you remember that to this day. And I remember we talked I, I, about I this. can we point out about, the house. Yeah. Those are the people that we remember. And I think it's important for all of us to remember that we're all heroes to somebody and you have an obligation. And I think when you step into leadership, then that is what you bring to the table. Also, Alan Brunacini has, there's a meme out there that I see in the internet, which is so true, which is kindness is an attribute of the strong. Usually we don't remember those people who are a-holes, who act like drill sergeants, who blame, shame, and humiliate us. But we do remember the people along the way who mean something to us. The people that gave us the nod to give us the responsibility to handle something because they knew we could do it. The people that believed in us, our first partners, our mentors. And we all mentor each other along the way, right? I mean, you know, I mean, I appreciate your words, but so many times you've mentored me through things. It really is a two-way street. It really is. We've We've all learned so much. We, we have. I think we all learn from each other and, you know, we've all learned through uh, the things that we've done and life's mistakes and the positive things and the high, the high, you know, notes that we've had. And I think that's the power of being in a leadership position. And I know that today I look at the people that are coming up and I look at where our occupation has come in 50 years because I became credentialed as an EMT in 1971. I think it's in good hands. I think we have a lot of work to do, but uh, the people that I see clinically and operationally are, that are coming up are really impressive. You know, part of my motivation for doing this class is uh, to pass on at least what I know and try 
to collect some things that have been learned in our industry to help people become better leaders and better supervisors from a practical point of view. So anyway, I just appreciate your allowing me to be on seven things. And, and we've been good friends for over, well, 43 years. <laughs> we've been good friends for yes, a long time and, uh, and I value your friendship and, and really appreciate you being, being on this podcast with you, Dan. Well, I, I think we could go on. I would, this is one we keep this to about, you know, 45, 50 minutes so we can get our hour of CE for this. But I think that we certainly could go on and I think we should do another episode someday. I certainly, everything that you say, I feel the same way. I'm very grateful to not only have had you in my life, but on this podcast and believe that people who listen to this will get that practical element that you talk about and that you talk about from your um, your boot camp to be able to get people to do that. So thank you very much for being here. Thanks, Dan. All right. That's it. Another seven things EMS. This is seven things EMS leadership. It is painful to wrap this up, but it's uh, a lot to learn here, a lot to do. And, and I've been taking notes, uh, John, there's a lot of things you've said in here and Maybe we'll see some politis memes coming up because I think there were some real <laughs> nuggets that were within the wisdom that I think are important. So thanks again for being here. This is Dan Limmer from Limmer Education. You have the opportunity to get an hour of CE from this podcast. If you're listening on your favorite streaming service and you want the CE, you can go to lc-ready.com to get that CE. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening to a 7 Things EMS podcast by Limmer Education. If you've listened to this podcast on a streaming service and you're interested in getting continuing education credit, please go to lc-ready.com for more information.